As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Everybody, you did it again. You found us. We weren't hiding. And you probably had us saved in your podcast feed. Yeah, you, yeah. It's, yes, you, you did. Know. But everything still works. Technology did, still works. We, it's probably, apparently, the world didn't end. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and here uh, we are. feed has delivered you the next episode. You're here. Yeah. The Gravity Welcome Leadership. Back. Where are, Where are they, Matt? Matt, they're at the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Your name yeah. is Matt. My I'm Matt. Ben. That's Ben. <sighs> My name's Christy. Christy. Yes. Good. All good right. good day. Get that, that sorted out. Good day, all. <laughs> hey, I have a quick question for y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, if you had to pick one article of clothing that you could select what you wanted to wear, but the rest of your clothing was chosen for you, which article of clothing would it be? Like in general, like t-shirt or no, a this specific is your, t-shirt? You got kidnapped, for, for example, and it's, okay. a, it's a particular kind of torture. Uh-huh. It's only these, one piece. It's these pe- that bad these people are goes. dressing you yeah. in, uh, in shambles. They're, they're dressing you ridiculously, and okay. they give you agency over one article of clothing. Which, okay. which part of your ensemble do you care about the most? I see. That, that you will, you'll keep your agency and, and choose what you want to wear. <laughs> Christy, how about you? I have an answer, but this is this is the difference between men and women. And all of our listeners are going to think I'm crazy. It's not, it's it's kind of a piece of clothing. Okay. Yep. Hair extensions. <laughs> hair extensions. You keep the hair extensions. It's a, it's a type of clothing. I Some of our listeners are like, what? As a, she wears t- hair extensions? Oh, yeah. Christy's a yeah. big yes, hair I extension do, person. Yes, I do, people. Yeah. She yes, also wears I pink do. headphones 24-7, which is a totally weird thing. But Also, my uh, 10-year-old was super jelly of your hair extensions, Christy, when we were at your house. I should have put them in ago. her hair. I should have oh. done them that, oh, she, the next time. Would've, you would have been her best friend. Uh <laughs> You know, I think I think Ben may have a bone to pick with you because I think you chose his as well. Ben, would you also have? Yeah, my hair, hair extensions are my hair. My hair, uh, <laughs> hair plugs is that a thing? Except his are his are beard extensions, right? Beard right. extensions, yes, right. Long flowing beard. Uh, All right, Ben, what is yours? I I don't. I honestly care so little about this. I, I like I care so little about sort of my ensemble and what I'm wearing, but most of the time I. Um, you remember the, the the every once in a while somebody talks about how like Steve Jobs had like seven black sweaters that he wore just like one every day. Mm-hmm. 
Like that is my jam. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Just wear the same thing every day. Then you don't have to like spend any mental energy trying to figure out what to wear. Yeah. I don't like figuring out what to wear. Yeah. Do you have a lot um, of black clothes? I do. I end up, yeah, I do have a lot of black clothes. I just uh, noticed, like you have a black sweatshirt on right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Piece, uh, I, think that's, pro- I think that's part of it. I, I just like buy black is like, well, that goes with anything. And so sure. I'll buy a bunch of black stuff. Uh, pro tip, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, God forbid something happens to Deb and you got to start all over, you know, yeah, and get it back out there on the dating scene, make sure you put all oh. this in your Bumble profile. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. don't. I have. I wear the same clothes every day. I don't like. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, care what's on my uh, body. I don't really. No, I just. I. I want it to look okay. I don't want to look like a ridiculous person. But yeah. Uh, it's so just I don't know. the weirdest intro. Something, ever. Ben. Yes, something, Ben. That I notice about you that you do care about. <laughs> what do, that what has I to do with about? your body. Mm-hmm. And that is um, your what you smell like. Oh. Imagine. Imagine. I don't, the, I don't like smelling bad. Imagine part of this. Do you wear a lot of sure. cologne? Oh yeah, um, he's a big Dracar oh. Noir guy. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Matt, what's your what's your piece of clothing? So it's tricky for me because uh, I like so many different parts of clothing. Um, they like me more, but I like them a lot. And I would mm. probably say either shoes mm. or okay. Hats. Although now I'm thinking about like if I don't take if I don't take responsibility for the underwear I wear, things could get real uncomfortable real quick. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't true, want people yeah. who have if this, have harm kidnappers and they don't care. Yeah, about these your guys comfort. are these guys are up to no yeah. good in the neighborhood. I don't want them picking out like a burlap sack underwear. <laughs> Doesn't matter how great my shoe I'm rocking great shoes, kicks if I if I got you know if I'm yeah. my my crack is chapped. Chapped. Yeah. Well, oh my goodness, Kevin Sweeney. It's not wow. the intro you deserved, but it's the one you get. And uh... <laughs> before no. before we intro Kevin, though, we should talk about our we should talk about our series that's coming up, guys. Oh yes, right. Next uh, so next week. next week uh, next week we start a new uh, series on the podcast that is all about um, kind of the content and the working out of our upcoming book. Boy, the book that yes. Matt and I wrote, Having the Mind of Christ. Yeah. Um, so that is, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a loads mm-hmm. of fun. Gino's going to join us uh, along with Christy, and we're going to have conversations about, um, yeah, about the chapters of the book uh, leading up to uh, the book launch and beyond. We're actually going to yeah. go beyond uh, the book launch and keep keep talking about it. Um, but more than just uh, talking about the content of the book, these at, at the content of this book has been around for a long time. It's been part of our training, uh, Gravity Leadership Academy, for a long time. And yeah. uh, Christy and Gino are both um, veterans as in, in terms of um, both uh, knowing about uh, this content, but also implementing it <clears throat> in their churches, in their lives. Um, they're two of our coaches. And so uh, I think it'll be a fun series. It's, yeah, it starts next week. Listeners, you need to know, because Matt and Ben aren't going to say this, but I'm going to say this, because I just started reading your book. They sent it to me early, and um, it is great. Mm. I'm just – I just started, and I am really excited. I mean, obviously, I know you guys, but I'm telling you this book um, is something that everyone should read. And so, wow. listeners, it is going to be a treat. It's I'm really looking forward to it. So oh, that's great. And I'm feel really honored that I get that I got it that I got it pre early or I don't know what you say that. Anyway, I got to read it early and it that early. I get to talk about it with yeah, you guys. It's, so it's, it's going to be, be fun. Really We're looking forward to it. Thanks for saying that, Christy. That's really yeah. It's really nice. Yep. Um. Yeah. So anyway, that starts next week. Um. We are six weeks out today. I think we're six weeks out from our book launch. July 26th. If you would like to be on the book launch team, uh, you do not have very many hours left <laughs> to join. <laughs> uh, because we we are going to begin uh, sending out some emails and some messaging uh, about uh, what that means. So if you want to be part of our book launch team, just go to gravityleadership.com slash launch. Gravityleadership.com slash launch. Fill out the form there. Um, and uh, you'll know you got on the book launch team because we'll send you an email uh, mm-hmm. sometime this week um, that, that gives you the updates and, and kind of how to participate in that. So anyway, that's coming up next week. Looking forward to it. All right. Woohoo! Stay tuned. We did it. <coughs> All right, same we did time, it. Same time, same channel. 
Uh, I think I That's will. That's a better segue to Kevin, I think. I think I will go all in on the underwear, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> I've just had this time to think about it this. as we've been talking about the book. I think mm-hmm. that's just, it's like the foundation. If the foundation's good, the house can stand, you know? Yeah, dress it's me, true. Dress me in stilettos and a girdle. <laughs> I don't care. As long as I get... Comfy. Comfy. Gosh, and as long as I pick, pick the so underwear. important to me. I'm, I'm so high <laughs> needs. High maintenance right here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kevin... Uh, we ended up talking with Kevin about about his book, but we ended up talking about um, the closing of his church and yeah. the transition in his life right now. Mm-hmm. Know, it was a really generative conversation. Uh, I can't wait to share it with you. So, I you know, yeah. since we um, we're in charge here, we, I wasn't. Yeah, I, I mean, don't have to. I wait. wasn't. So you know, if <laughs> listen, I'm in the same boat as listeners on this one because I wasn't on this interview, and so I yeah. didn't get to talk to Kevin. I know him a right. little bit, but I didn't get to talk to him. Uh, get, so we, we talked about the closing of his church and his and his book. What's his book about? Give us a little intro. Yeah, his book is about discovering a more contemplative, mystical Christian way of being oh, yeah. um, in the midst of being, you know, a church planner and a pastor and a dad. And mm. uh, you know, he doesn't have the privilege of of you know riding his uh, donkey off into the uh, monastery. <laughs> And, right. you know, not talking to anybody for Solitude three years. For three years yeah. yeah, so his book is about discovering, um, you know, an ancient Christian tradition in the midst of a modern, technologically driven world. It's really good. Yeah, and Love he it. kind of, he flushes it out. It's not just like head mm. knowledge of kind of what yeah. he thinks and believes, but practically, what does it mean to be a Christian mystic in 2022? So. Yeah, when you, when you uh, can't, you know, retire to your uh, writing lodge. For three yeah. months of the year, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. which, yeah, uh, well, I'm looking forward to it now, guys. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great intro. So, yeah, that was the whole purpose of this intro is to get you just interested to get in me our podcast up to speed. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, be I'll, nice. I'll listen to this whole episode. All right, you guys, well, watch out. Success. All right, Christy. let's dive in. Here we go. Kevin Sweeney joins us on the Gravity Leadership Podcast today. He's the co-founder and lead pastor of Imagine Church, an urban church in Honolulu that is welcoming of all people, sees imagination as the key to the future, chooses authenticity over performance, substance over hype, and quality over quantity. He is the host of the podcast, The Church Needs Therapy. Can I get an amen? And Hello. he lives in Honolulu with his wife and co-founder of Imagine, Christine and their two kids, True and Michaela. And he's also the author of uh, the book we're chatting about today. It's a brand new book, The Making of a Mystic, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me. I know, Christy, we just met. She she liked the subtitle. You couldn't see in the, you couldn't see in the, the audio, but she smirked like, to me, I, I can't I just wait love, to hear about mushrooms. I lo- we, we're going to talk love, about it for sure. <laughs> I love hearing people read the title because it's just so funny, but all and mm. it's clever, and I'm aware of that. But it also genuinely captures some bigger picture movements of my life and moments in the book. So I just love it. So Matt, Christy, and tell Ben too. Thank you guys for yeah. for having me on and for yeah, as a first time author. I do not take for granted people inviting me into these spaces, and I really, really do appreciate it. You know, hence also why I'm very proactive in trying to, you know, reach out to people to do this. I appreciate the the generous response from all of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad excited. You're here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about this, Kevin, because this book is uh, is unique in the sense that it's part kind of autobiography, part. Um, theology, and then part of a reflection on what it means to be a mystic, making use of sources inside and outside uh, the Christian tradition. And through it all, you sort of weave stories of forgiveness and loss and acceptance and failure and breakthrough all the way through here. And I, mm. maybe I want to start with just this. What, what, why did you write this? What gift, <laughs> what gift do you hope it gives to the reader through reading? Mm. Yeah, the story of how this book came about, 
you know, writing and creativity and inspiration doesn't always happen like what I'm about to tell you. It does not always happen like in a spark, in a romantic kind of way, but I will be honest about where this, where this idea came from. I was on a mountain. I live, I live in Honolulu. I'm like in the unofficial arts district of Honolulu. You can see right here, like this is basically right on the edge of downtown and oceans two blocks up the street, mountains 10 minutes from here. It's a really magical, amazing place to live that I'm really grateful to live at and to be embraced by the land and the people here. And I was in the mountains. This is, you know, June-ish, July, maybe, COVID, when the shutdown first happened. So we're kind of just in that, you know, almost like two years ago, basically. Yeah. I was in the mountains in a time of silence. And then my eyes were closed. and I'm just focusing on my breath. And all of a sudden, it was like, that's a book. Mm. And I just saw it. And I could see it unfolding in my mind. I'm like, oh, it's not... It's not a book that has a primary thesis. And that's one of the things I say about the book is the book's not about one thing. It's about many things, but it's also the discovery that many things are always about one thing. And I just came home and started working on it. And I think an important part of my journey towards writing was in my, say, early 30s. I'm 37 right now. So I probably started writing when I was 35. I resisted the temptation to write a book for the sake of writing a book. Mm-hmm. I resisted the temptation of the Christian industrial complex and the the world of comparison we live in of, oh, well, that person wrote at 32 and they did this and he and she and they're all. And at, your ego can contract and feel those moments. And then also in silence, in solitude, in presence with God, consciously resist that and say, hey, I could feel the gravitational pull to do things because for the sake of getting ahead or climbing a ladder, I theoretically don't even believe in in the first place. Let me sit with those times. Let me surrender them and keep focusing on my hyper-local community, neighborhood, et cetera. And I'm happy that I resisted that along the way. So when the time came where I'm like, this is wanting to come out of me, I allowed that to happen. So Mm. sit on a moment, spend some time in silence, and boom, you (laughs) could have an idea for a book to come to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. you mentioned at the beginning, uh, it's it's in the subtitle, right? Mushrooms. You, you describe mushrooms as, as a missionary showing you the way. Most of our mm. listeners are, are veterans on the war on drugs. So let's unpack <laughs> this a little. In mm. what way did your use of psychedelics in high school point the way for you? Can you share with our listeners that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. You know, I, I do share in the in the book to make sense of that for people because to me it makes perfect sense. You know, but I have a chapter in the book called Mushrooms and Missionaries, and for me that just makes a lot of sense to me because that's my own story. But when there was a young Thomas Merton, you know, Merton, great one of the great Christians of the 20th century, great mystic, great contemplative, and from my perspective, really helped reintroduce contemplative spirituality to not only the Western Christian tradition, but really to just people in the West as a whole, as as audacious as that might sound. And a young Merton, as he was getting closer to his awakening experience, found out this really well-known Hindu priest, monk, teacher, guru was visiting the States to lecture, I think at some like divinity schools or some Ivy League schools. And his name was Mahanambrata Brahmachari. And somehow Merton tracks him down, goes to a lecture or something, and asks him for guidance. And this brilliant, you know, sage doesn't point Merton to his own cultural text or the Bhagavad Gita or some of his own writers who are around him. He tells a young Merton to read Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ and St. Augustine's Confessions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting because let's say those books get integrated into Merton's journey and he goes on to become this profound, you know, follower of Jesus. I would say, well, I don't think it was in that Hindu monk's job statement or mission statement to be an unexpected missionary for Jesus or a missionary for Christ. But if that guidance pointed Merton further towards the fullness of life in Christ, that is exactly what he was. And in that sense, mushrooms and you know psychedelic mushrooms were that missionary for me pointing me beyond themselves towards the truth that i was hoping existed but wasn't sure if it was real you know and i I do offer a disclaimer to people listening to these episodes when i use that term missionary 
It gives us a chance to temporarily suspend the urgent need to continue to dismantle and disentangle that word from all of its white supremacist, Eurocentric, empire-building, patriarchal energy that it's caught up in. So I am a part of unraveling that and dismantling that in my own way. I hope we all are as we seek to follow Jesus faithfully. But the healthy part of that term is it's a humble role to point something beyond itself to something more. So I can say more about that. But yes, that was they were pointing me beyond themselves towards eventually what would become this direct awakening moment with God. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, you talk about it in your book about um, you were able to see your ego in a way that you weren't otherwise able to do. And that led you to a um, what you describe as like a mystical journey. Uh, and I want to maybe mm. hear from you how, what are the ways you categorize the word mystic or mystical? Mm. And how, um, and how, like, what are some of the artifacts of what it means to be a mystic? Mm, yeah, it's a great question. I think in the most simple, like, feet planted on the ground term, you know, for example, like Richard Rohr would say, you know, mysticism or the mystical is simply the movement from religion as a belonging system or a set of beliefs to a transformational experience, right? That's not verbatim, but essentially. So it's this movement from being a Christian or being a person of faith is here's a set of beliefs I have, or here's this belonging tribal identity I have to an actual direct experience. Mirabai Star would say, you know, mystic is the one who has direct encounter with the sacred, which oftentimes and usually does transcend religious boundaries or conventional boundaries or even systems of belief, you know, while it doesn't have to exist outside of them. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. And so for me, you know, when you look at the artifacts or the fruit, like one, you look at that, the mystic's life is defined by direct experience, immediate knowing, and a, and a deep union with God and with spirit. That the foundation is not, here's what I believe about God. It is not, here's the beliefs I'm holding on to. It's actually the trust that I'm being held at a very radical level beyond, before, and beneath all of my beliefs. So with that said, you know, the, here, here, some of the fruit is the mystic is the one who lives with no resistance. Resist mm-hmm. what? Reality, our own fragility, our own limitations, the way we wish the world wasn't. No, the mystic is the one who has wrestled with reality and surrendered and submitted to it enough to begin to trust it and embrace it exactly as it is. So the mystic is the one who can embody pure acceptance. You know, so one, the mystic no longer sees life as something to conquer. It just is what it is. And we have a role to contribute to this beautiful unfolding, but the mystic isn't trying to win or overcome. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not, even though I have degrees, I'm not the best at Bible quotes, but I think Jesus said something about, you know, overcoming the world. You know, I think the mystic's the one who trusts that and mm-hmm. and rests in that. And, and also I, I, one of the big keys is the mystic knows that death is the key to life. The mystic always trusts the death, always trusts the letting go, always can practice acceptance and surrender any and all of the expectations that we had on how life's supposed to be and how my life's supposed to go and how the world's supposed to work. The mystic has all of the edges of idealism rubbed out of them through the graceful and painful presence of reality. But after all of the surrender and wrestling, the mystic can look out at everything and say, somehow everything just is, and it's okay, and we're, and we're mm-hmm. safe here. And so those would be my starting points right there, at least for this conversation while sure. I think about it. <laughs> yeah, Christy, Christy, yeah, what I'm does so that serve for you? Like, uh, I'm, I'm like watching Christy's well, face, and I know she's buzzing inside. Nice. Yeah, well, it's interesting, because I'm I'm getting my doctorate of ministry right now, and I'm reading the book, wow. The Roots of Christian Mysticism. Mm. And so... I'm like literally in the middle of that book. And so I was excited to do this interview and to hear from you um, because I think um, to use the term Christian mystic, like people are like, wait a minute, what is that? What is that? What what do you, what does that mean for you? And I think in some ways, like you co-leading your church with your wife has pushed you into a mystical space. Would you say that that's fair and true? I wouldn't say it's the initial push into a mystical space that would be my foundational experience at 18 you know like where my life would just 
was surrendering illusions, letting go, removing space, and all of a sudden I have this direct encounter with God. Before I had beliefs, there was no youth groups. I had no awareness of evangelical anything growing up. I didn't yes. know any didn't know any of that existed. Yeah. But I think the insight you have and where I think the truth of what you're saying is, at least for me when I hear that, is pastoring and leading and the challenges of that, you know, not knowing where you stand with people, always living with uncertainty, a constant flow of people in and out. Like pastoring is to embrace a life where you can, you live with a consistent presence of elements of life. Most people spend their whole lives trying to avoid loss, (laughs) not knowing where you stand with people, expectations constantly, you know, not being met, which is why the mystic surrenders expectations. And so I think pastoring did not push me into it initially, but constantly invites me further into it. Because if I'm not trusting, if I'm not practicing acceptance, letting go, if I'm not surrendering into God, if I'm hustling from, like, it will, without that, this will crush me. So it definitely speeds up the journey if you're there, because it's inviting you. If you don't trust the death, if you don't let go, you will be crushed by this whole thing. So it is the undesired, unwanted crash course that can lead you further on the journey, even though you don't want the the method along the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, some of our listeners might hear like, okay, you're a pastor and it's difficult. Like, wait a minute, you're in Hawaii. Like, this has got to be awesome. <laughs> Maybe share with us a little bit about, give us a little imagination. What what What's hard? Tell us kind of the difficulties mm-hmm. of pastoring. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a yeah. great question. Two, maybe a year and a half, because I was never on staff at a church before we started Bastion. I did it once. I had a four month internship, and I really didn't do anything. And so I was planning to do a PhD. <laughs> I had a whole different plan, you know, I was going to do. And about a year and a half, maybe a year, I don't know exactly, into this, I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is not an easy thing to do and maintain mm-hmm. joy. What a fascinating thing to think about, to be a spiritual leader and to realize, wow, this is not an easy thing to do and actually enjoy. And that one, that's my heart for pastors and for leaders and for helpers is I want you to have more joy in five years than you have right now. Mm -hmm. I want you to be more at peace three years from now. And the path towards that is not another organizational leadership book. That will help you in your community, but it will not help you become free. That's why even with like, if people are into financial peace or Dave Ramsey, like it is what it is. But sometimes I think to, I've thought to myself, if you really want financial peace, don't do Dave Ramsey's method, learn spiritual practices. Cause you can have financial peace and not be at peace. Um, so the difficult parts of that is one, I don't know if people talk about this much, but you live, you live in a constant state of not knowing where you stand with people. And that's difficult when you don't know, like, does that person like me? Do they like this? Are they into it? Should I, did I push too much? Did I not ask enough? Do they, you know, just those types of things that happens while you're leading. And when we don't know where we we stand with people, it, it creates this heightened environment that can draw to the surface the worst of our default patterns in our personality. So the helper types, when you don't know where you stand with people, what happens a lot, let me move in and win you over with kindness, win you over with compliments, tell you how much I love you. And yes, some of what I'm, it could be true, but I'm also the engine for that is because when you look at me and you have tears in your eyes or you look at me and you're smiling, that actually calms my anxiety down and makes me feel good. So I'm doing that to feel secure in this relationship. That's exhausting. You know, that, that is not a sustainable or enjoyable life or me. I'm an Enneagram five. And so my default pattern, if I don't know where I stand with people is like create more distance and tell myself I never cared about him in the first place. <laughs> Cause that's how I protect my heart. <laughs> it's not a good recipe for fasting. Totally. Um, or I never cared. Or like that part of me that always wants to play it cool. Like growing up is like, I never cared. Like I never even really cared about all this. I'm too cool. It's like I have those default patterns. So Mm -hmm. one, not knowing where you stand with people is just this low level. Are you going to give in to your default patterns? Are you going to surrender the need to know where that person thinks about you in order for you to be okay? That's a transformational journey, you know? Or just the perpetual cycle of loss, you know, people coming in and out all the time. Like, Most people fear rejection, abandonment, relationships ending. As a pastor, you're in a constant state of new relationships and relationships ending. That's not, even when they end well, it's still hard because it's loss. 
it's it's death which requires acceptance which requires letting go over and over and over again and then it's just criticisms and opinions of course so i'm like pastoring for me has elements of all of the hardest the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur the hardest parts about being a creative and an artist the har- some of the hardest parts of being a helper therapist social worker not to the extreme in the context but some of those hard parts it all converges into this mind of a situ- this mind this challenging knot of a situation which led me to that realization early on. This is not an easy thing to do and maintain joy and sanity, even when I'm in Hawaii and even when we surf and even when I have this beautiful place, that doesn't take away from the reality of the inner life of what we're doing. Yeah. Hi, my name is Carol from Fergus, Ontario, Canada. When I think about the years in my GLA cohort, I am filled with fond memories and gratitude. I looked forward to our time together each week. In my second year, although I was the only woman and Canadian and only one of two non-pastors, this group saw how God was working in my life and encouraged me along the way as we processed our Kairos moments together. I was at a point of transition in my life And having people who were learning the same things and processing with them was incredibly valuable for me. We were all from such different places and contexts, but it didn't matter. We helped each other see the world through the eyes of Jesus. This was a safe and encouraging space to process what I was going through and to equip me to be a leader who noticed the activity of God in my life. I'm so thankful for the work of Gravity Leadership. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Somebody called it um, like the moral injury of, of extending mm. yourself and not, and not knowing if it's going to be received or rejected or ghosted mm. or betrayed. And having to do that over and over and over again, mm. and and the sort of the comfort of the large platform that's high above and far away from people, and the pulpit that that mm-hmm. can keep that stands between you and others, and you know coming in just for the sermon and then and then wheeling out and sitting in your trailer and you know drinking your mineral water like that. I understand that now. Mm. Like I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. Years early on, <laughs> you're like, that's the worst thing. Later on, you're like, it actually sounds pretty yeah, nice. Well. <laughs> I mean, you know, just but, from an emotional sense of because yeah. you're able to keep that distance. Yeah, and I think mm. though something your book uh, touches on, and something we talk about a lot, is though that you can insulate yourself from that kind of pain, um, mm. but that is a cheap replacement for learning how to be with and in pain and accept it. So, mm. so insulating yourself from pain and hurt. Uh, keeps you from that, but it also keeps you from love. You know, mm-hmm. it keeps you from actual connection and attunement and this this mutual mutuality. But what your book is calling us to, Kevin, why I think it's a gift for us, for me, even as I listen to you here, is that you are you are actually uh, inviting us into this journey that God wants us to encounter. We, God wants us to encounter God in the midst of every single unwanted. Un, unintended reality, everything, mm. yes. and and then mm. and then allow it to be, so that we can we can be grounded and centered in in love or being, and um, mm. I don't know I I think I need that because my temptation is just to run, like mm. you said, you know, mm. um, yeah, I don't know, yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if you can relate you know, to I, that. Yeah, I think sometimes, or I'm like, for me, that's just a part of how I see and the the gift and the energy I have to bring is if you're in your 20s and it's still the first half of life project and it's still building the container and it's still like the ego, you're being driven primarily by ego ambition, the ego still in the center of your life without realizing it. I'm like, I have a very little to offer people who are there. 
to be honest, because I'm not I'm not the inspirational person. Yeah. You know, like you probably frustrate I have something them in the book where I'm like most <laughs> most preaching. <laughs> Wait, say it again. <laughs> you probably frustrate them. Like I like those people. They, <laughs> they throw their like, energy at you and they're like, "Witness me, notice me, uh, use me, even." And you're like, no, yeah, "Yeah, no, there, yeah." There's some truth to. That. I have some stories about that too. But in the book, you know, I say most preaching is just cheerleading for the ego. Hmm. You know, it's like a Peloton pep talk. You know, which like I have a Peloton bike right here. By the way. <laughs> um, it's all it's encouraging, fortifying, and inspiring the very self I believe Jesus asks us to die to and overcome and transcend, which is developmentally appropriate. You have to build the self before you transcend it. You know, Rory, so you have to have an ego to die to an ego. But that stage of life, I'm like. I'm not that, you know, you're not that guy, pal. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Like, I'm not that guy who's going to, like, inspire that. I just, I, I know how to do it, and I can developmentally, but that's not mm-hmm. my primary thing. Because my yep. thing is, after that self starts to shake, after life's punched you in the face, after things don't work out, a.k.a., like, approach 30 and into your 30s, you know, and those, after the death, this is where the journey begins. After what you thought was you starts to come undone, that's where real life begins, and even when you talk about allowing and accepting things to be as they are and being present to God in every circumstance and opening up and embracing the pain. Like I would tell people, you don't have to learn to enjoy pain, but you do have to learn to embrace it and accept it. And that doesn't mean it's fun, but you can, in the non-dual mind, can embrace and accept pain just as wholeheartedly as you can embrace and accept good things. That's where the non-resistance comes in. You have to embrace, accept, and take the pain into you. Let it exhaust itself in and through your body. Just like I see the cross as an icon of acceptance. You know, you have to let the pain be exhausted in your own body. And once it's done, that which you thought was going to kill you, all of a sudden you're like, I'm still here. And the spirit that in him all things hold together is actually holding me together when I thought it would crush me again and again and again. That is how a pastor and any person sustains joy in the journey is letting that flow through them. So I could say more, but yeah, I'm like, that's, I'm like, t- there's sometimes I would preach sermons and because we had a lot of young people, I'd be like, in five to seven years, this will matter to you. But right now you're like, cool, what's next? You know, and that's great and that's fine. I just laugh at that. I'm like, but in 10 years when things fall apart, this is where it begins for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Christy. Kevin, I was just curious because I have six kids. And so as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, okay, let's get practical. How does this life you're describing make a difference in conflict with your kids or, Mm, you know, a loss with your church family or your marriage or like help us see how this really is played out? Yes, I love that question. And that's actually one of the things when we we talked about the heart of the book or, or whatever you said in the beginning is I, this book. I want it to have the to have the feel of the mysticism of every day. What is it? What is so? I would say this book is about non-dual seeing and choosing your kids over building a platform. It's about a massive cosmic vision of life and how it means nothing without being present concretely to your neighbor. Right? It's about pastoring and leading from a liberated place that knows it has what it, what the ego wants to seek from it. So I do believe it's very grounded and practical. That's why I think the title throws people off. I'm like, it's very practical, actually. And it's very pastoral and very like what happens on Wednesday afternoon when someone in your church offended you. How do you sit with that? How do you surrender? How do you let go of it and keep moving on without bitterness? Like that's the book. And yeah. so I, have, I, I, I forget if it's in this or... In a, I actually have a second book coming out in January 3rd. It's a small, subtle flex, slight plug on that one too. I'll be back on Gravity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to Gravity people 10 times again. They're going to bring me back. But I tell this story of, I remember my daughter was like, my first daughter, I have a son too. And she was like, you know, nine months old in that like rolling around in diaper phase. And we were in our front yard, which has a small gate. And we're just like, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. She has her own practice. So she's seeing clients and I'm with my, you know, my kids every day. I have been since they were born, basically. And as we're playing in the water and we're just rolling around on the grass, 
I remember having a moment where like, it was like I could feel my ego start to contract. And I'm thinking about how other people my age in my same field are like getting ahead. You know, just like they're doing more, they're building a platform or whatever, their churches, like they're hustling more or whatever. And as I'm thinking about that, when you do that, you're not able to be present because I'm thinking about something else, right? I'm thinking, I'm comparing. And in that moment, I, rem- I remember just saying, or just that that moment is, I have to let go of that engine that is trying to get me to be more productive in order to be present to this miracle in front of me. I have to surrender the ability to build a bigger platform and build a name for myself, which is always your ego's first half of life project to do that. I have to surrender that subtle urge to do that in order to be present and to enjoy this nine-month-old, beautiful, amazing thing in front of me. And I remember in that story, just like thinking about it, being aware of what's happening in my body, accepting it in, surrendering it, and with tears in my eyes, just returning to my daughter and be like, we're here. So... That is one example. And then being able to surrender and let go of the tough things just means you can actually enjoy. Like, that's just what I think. I'm like, I, for me, enjoying this world is just as important as contributing to the healing of it. Mm. And that's not just because I live in Hawaii. It's not just because we surf here and the weather's great. It's, well, that can happen anywhere. And I really think the practical part of the mystic is like, man, just, it's okay to just enjoy this, you know? And, This is what I'm like, I don't have to do a bunch of things. I call it the justification mixtape, where at the end of the day, you have to justify to yourself everything you've done of why it's finally okay to just chill. You know, it's like, what are we justifying? Our just our right to exist? Yeah. I thought that was a gift. (laughs) You know, what are we justifying our right to enjoy? I thought that was just woven into a part of this naturally. So the mystic can be present and they don't take themselves so seriously. You know, we have V3, you know, uh, connections, Matt. Yep, yep. And the first time they ever, a long time ago, they asked me to write a blog for something. And the first thing I ever wrote as an adult for them was, no one in Kyrgyzstan cares about your church. (laughs) And it was just like, you know, if you zoom out, you know, city, state, country, Mm -hmm. which are borders we've created, obviously, they're not etched into the actual nature of the universe and you go out cosmically and you think historically, like we're all living on the edge of almost meaninglessness and nothingness. But yet, I believe the work we're doing is at the same time the most sacred in the world. And the paradox of those two allows me to give myself fully and also in the end be like, but like, who? it doesn't matter. Like it does, yeah. but it doesn't. You know, the, the mystic's the one who takes life absolutely seriously and yet not seriously at all at the exact same time. I give my heart, I try, I care. But in the end, I'm like, but I don't really care. Like whatever happens after is is that's done. And now I'm back to doing this. So yeah, those are a few of the thoughts on that right there. Yeah. Yeah. You're touching on a lot of themes that we talk about all the time, Kevin, in terms of the way we do things and how, Mm. and how our relationship to life, to our emotions, to our desires, to our commitments and responsibilities. It's not, it's not what those things are that's most important, but it's our relationship to them that's most important. Absolutely. And and what you're describing is, I think, in the mystical tradition, in the Christian church, and even outside the Christian church, as people just experience common grace living in God's creation, mm. is it's a it's a it's a way of encounter and oneness with God and the love of God that you know holds all of us and everything together, and also then allows us to connect to anything or not. To do anything mm. or not, mm-hmm. you know, mm. to to enjoy something or not, to work mm-hmm. right now, or be with my child, right? Mm. Um, and it's just mm. beautiful, like liberty, freedom, mm. uh, you know, almost a deliverance from the tyranny of of a small uh, life, <laughs> mm. you know. Yeah, I have a I have a chapter in the book called Jesus Was Free. Yes, it's a good it one. It says Jesus doesn't just come to set us free. He actually shows us what it looks like to be free. Yeah. You know, so you see over and over Jesus chooses authenticity over attraction. You never saw Jesus chase people down, shame them, or desperately try and win them over, which I think gives us the permission as leaders to do the same thing. We are guides. We're not people's parents. And they're not children, you know, when, when they're adults. That's the, we don't have the same responsibility to them. I like I've embraced that 
You know, when Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear. In the Zen tradition, it's like when the student's ready, the teacher appears. There's a relationality of openness of the person and the voice of the guide. And I don't force people to wake up. I don't shame people to make better decisions. I am comfortable being a guide. I am comfortable with my own creativity and imagination, painting a picture of an alternative future. And I'm even willing to commit to people to go with them on that journey insofar as they let me. That's a humble thing about a pastor is you unconsciously say, I will go with you as far as you allow me. Yeah. And our ego will get offended when there's expectations and we'll get mad and we'll have the temptation to shame to get people to do what we want because so much of our value is over-identified with how people respond to us. But if I'm just a guide, it's like, hey, I'm going to show you this. I'll even go with you. If you go, awesome. If you don't, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Yeah, That's your journey. And I'm, and even when you don't care and come back in two years, let's begin again. But I'm like, which to me is us mirroring to others the exact same way spirit relates to us at every moment in our lives. You can begin again whenever you want. No mm-hmm. shaming, no coercing. You open up again, let's continue. And then we just get busy and we grind and we forget. Then a moment comes, let's begin again. And I think our gift is to offer that to others. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe then we can get really present. I know we were talking before the interview just about the where you are in the stage of your church. And I think, Kevin, the first time I met you and your wife, y'all, I think it was in D.C., and y'all were PowerPointing, talking about Imagine. I think you were about ready mm-hmm. to move to Hawaii to plant Imagine Church. If it was in D.C., that was right before my daughter was born. My wife yeah. was seven months pregnant. Yes, like I remember that. Hosting that gathering, I totally like co-hosting that. with somebody, and that means we were actually no, we were like two. We were two to three years in at that. You point. were into it, okay? All right, so you were into yeah, it. Yeah, we were now, in it. Yeah. Okay, so you were two to three years in it, and now you were telling me before we hit play that you're two to three weeks away from ending it, and I wonder if mm-hmm. you could just describe. Um, we don't actually tell stories about ending churches. And part of it's because of our attachment to success and our like mm. t- the the fear of the fear of something not being permanent. Maybe mm. maybe it maybe it had its season and now the season's done, or even the fear of being like you know a personal failure. <laughs> you mm, know, absolutely, like, oh, yeah, whatever yeah, fear yeah. we have. Mm. I wonder if you could talk about your journey in mysticism as it relates to you, the discernment to close Imagine Church here in a few weeks? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm, you know, totally open to talk about it. And even for people listening in, to get the full, like the full, full story, like the hour version, on my podcast, The Church Needs Therapy, my wife came on and we told the whole story. It's like why Imagine's ending or something. You can see the title of it, but we tell okay. a much detailed, a very detailed story of how we got here. But, you know, we had just transitioned to a new space and it wasn't just the new space and having more people, but as a whole, Imagine was thriving and growing about year seven, you know, right before the shutdown. It was awesome. Like everything you, you know, the tra- when a, you know when a big transition goes well, you're like, that was exactly what we hoped for it to be. And then COVID hit and besides once a month stuff or whatever we were doing, you know, we didn't meet consistently for 18 months. And Hawaii has been one of the most conservative and lockdown places for rules throughout the shutdown. Okay. And after about 18 months last fall in October, my wife and I had this sense of, okay, there it's time for Imagine to be born again. There's, for us, we felt there was one more chapter for us in our roles to like, maybe it's a two to three year chapter of rebuilding and then we'll see where we're at. That's how we felt. We watched Michael... Michael Jordan's, you know, last dance doc. We're like, this is our last dance. (laughs) And and it takes a lot, you know. Mirabai Starr has this amazing quote where I forget the whole thing, but she's like, eventually talks about, you know, opening your heart despite every reason not to, which is a lot of pastors can relate to that after 10 years or whatever. And opening the church back up and recommitting to that, that's not easy, it takes a lot to reopen after you've seen so much loss and so many people moving during shutdown. You don't even really know what your church is. You're like, what is? What does it even mean to be a part of Imagine during shutdown? I don't know. You know, like I'm responsible for putting together these digital Sundays, and I don't even watch. I, I'm mm. over it. You know, and I'm mm. the one doing it, so it's tough. Yes. And 
in October, we're going to reopen up. And I got hit with the worst form of online harassment I've ever gotten because the place we were going required vaccinations or negative tests. And we said, okay, like we wouldn't have chosen that as a whole, but since they're doing it, we'll say, okay, we'll like, we'll go with you on this. That's a long story. So one, I'm already like opening my heart to open back up. Then I get this harassment to the point where I thought, are people going to be protesting outside our church when we open up? Like it was pretty intense for a couple of days, to be honest. And it, it made me sick for like two days, what was happening, mm. like to my stomach. And anyways, we open and I would say about four to six weeks into it, <clears throat> I started to feel this deep shift of this is the last chapter and it's a lot shorter than I thought. This is the last chapter and it's not a rebuilding one. And, excuse me, I started to have this shift of the church and the metaphor in my mind was moving it into hospice care. And when I started to see it with that and where I was at and the acceptance that comes with starting to come to terms with that, it created a huge sense of relief and felt very aligned and felt very right. No matter how painful or hard that is to accept, it felt very in in the flow and very right. And because the, the, the wisdom of that metaphor is when you're trying to prolong the life of something and when you're trying in hospice care, when you're practicing acceptance of an ending, it enables you to be present in a completely different way because it's not about duration, it's about quality. You know, it's not about prolonging, it's about being present as possible. And that shift started to really free me and it just felt right. And at the end of last, I remember right before our Christmas service, I remember walking at this park where I would go over my teachings and thinking, well, this will be the last Christmas sermon I ever preach here. Hmm. And then within the same walk, I said, no, this will be the last sermon I ever preach here. Because I knew, because over Christmas break, my wife and I were going to decide. You know, we were going to travel a little bit. And be like, are we really going to say this? Are we really going to announce we're going to close this? But we were there, you know, but you have to make that decision and really finalize it. And we did that service. And my wife would say she came up. And as we're worshiping with the, the metaphor of a bride, she was like, I could feel and know the church was like, it's okay to bring me home. Meaning like, we're just going to like do this last six month journey. I live in a building with like a seventh floor amenity deck. So it's like, that's our home is we're going to do this last six month process of closing it down. If we're just going to be present, we're going to eat and drink. Ain't no sermons, ain't no anything else besides all I have energy left is to be present with people. That's it. The most production I have is putting drinks in a cooler. That's it. That's all I can do at this point. And she felt the church saying, like, it's okay to take me home. And that idea of bringing the loved ones you home, you love to hospice care at home later in life. And we came back and announced. And that's when we announced that night, what we were doing. And my wife and I shared. And, you know, there's tears. And we're telling the long version of the story. At the end, the people in the church gave us a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I haven't even really thought about the standing ovation until now. And I get emotional just thinking about it because— We've been met with like nothing but love and grace and support after we made that announcement. And one is a testament to the people, but also my wife and I were like, we're not strategizing this. We're not closing in stages. All we just are going to, how we started to imagine now, we're just going to be honest with people. This is where we're at, Mm. you know? And I'm really thankful that my wife and I did not carry the unnecessary burden to get to some of your points of, Somehow, if this doesn't exist in perpetuity, it devalues it. No, that was a dec- That was almost a decade of our lives with so many great stories and us doing. For me, faithfulness just means doing your best. Like that's how I describe it. I'm like, to be faithful and to create something so powerful, and then also the dignity of allowing it to be exactly what it was for that in a long season. That's a decade. It's not a small thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. I do not look the same as I did when I started. <laughs> Trust me, I've taken wrinkles. I've done. I've changed. I've changed for this. And it w- It's been a the slow journey of coming back home and just being present to people. Now, after five months of doing that. There's a shelf life to that. You know, you can't just hang out forever. And so now when we ended it, everyone's like, 
yeah, it just feels normal for it to end now because that's where it is. You've been sitting in hospice care for five months. You're not in shock when a person takes their last breath. It doesn't mean it won't hurt, but you're not in shock at that point because mm-hmm. you've already accepted it. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. last fall was one of the hardest, the hardest vocational season of my life, accepting that and coming to terms and still leading through it when I'm coming to terms with that, still showing up to preach. I'm like, dude, like this is, this is insane. Is hard. Mm. And now I'm like, after the, the back to the mystic stuff, acceptance, letting go. Yeah, your ego might contract and say, oh, people might think it's a failure. People would say, if it doesn't do this, that, that's not, that's actually not real. That's not how it works. That was a moment. I can let imagine be a decade chapter of my life and surrender and accept. I don't need to control my narrative. I don't have to control how other people perceive me. I can do what I know is right, surrender all that. And trust that after this death there's there's another res- there's another 10 year chapter ahead of my life so yeah that was like the 7 minute instead of the on my podcast is the 60 minute version of that right there there's more yep. tears there me and my wife both so you can go back there we'll link to, we'll link to well, that in the show notes you. Kevin yeah yeah thank you cuz yeah. thank you for being vulnerable and sharing cuz i it's helpful i think for for me but also for our listeners to kind of hear um what you've gone through and mm. but i'm also curious what is next on your journey? Like, what are you being invited into? Yeah. One, my first book's coming out actually two weeks from today, which is cool, Making of a Mystic. You know, you hear the subtitle. I have a deal. I have a publishing deal on a second book. It's coming out January 3rd um, called The Joy of Letting Go. How, the, how one thing has the power to change everything. So a lot of whatever I talk about letting go here, it's times a thousand for that book. It's That book is how letting go isn't one thing we do. Letting go is that which holds together everything we do. It's just beneath the surface of doing everything well and do, being able to do anything with joy. You know, letting go for me is beneath the surface. And then <clears throat> I'm actually working on a third that I plan on having done at the end of this year. And so I look at the next 18 months until the end of next year as like very writing, getting that done, promoing, getting the second book ready, finishing a third, and knowing opportunities beget opportunities. So I am hoping, I've like not traveled the last set, like seven or eight years of Imagine or whatever. Like I have been so hyper local focused here, so present to like with our kids every day. Like I just have barely traveled and I've, developed some great connections the last couple of years or however long it's been since starting the podcast and writing, you know, it's reflective in my endorsements and like just other things I have going on. And I am hoping to be able to allow my voice to translate and transfer in a transcultural sense beyond just my local context here. And I anticipate some more of that. I do hope for that because that's just what I feel is coming and I, I want that. So but yeah, besides the writing, it's a mystery. You know, there's, I think opportunities will beget more opportunities and I don't know what those will be. And I just have a sense at the end of not this year, but next year, I will have more clarity on, let's say maybe a two to three year chapter. But from now till then, I'm like thankful I'm not in a financial situation where I have to like make something happen in a month or else. Yeah, And I have some time to let the writing breathe and have open space for some traveling if that comes up through the opportunities. And, but I am definitely stepping into another vulnerable, open, exciting place of uncertainty and newness, you know? So I'm comfortable allowing things to unfold. You know, that's a, that's a part of the mystic is to me, when you're young, faith is about what you believe. When you get older, faith is about how much you're willing to risk which is the real trust and the real journey, stepping into uncertainty, that's when faith really matters. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I'm at again. Yeah. yeah. It's okay for everyone to you relax, know, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah, Christy, um, right, gonna... yeah, right above me is this picture of um, my hands that a friend of mine drew. Uh, I recently was reading Corey Timboom, and she mm. talks about how surrender, she thought surrender was like opening up your hands those of you who are listening, like where your palms are facing up and and saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And, and she said that about her sister and her dad and her health and all these things. 
But at the end of her life, Cory Timboom talks about how real surrender is flipping your hand over mm-hmm. and having the palm facing down and, and trusting that God will bring to her life the things that he wants. And mm. that's, that image came to mind as you were speaking mm. of just you may not know what God is going to bring to your hand, but you're not going to hold them open to manipulate them and to say, Mm. you know, um, but you're saying, okay, God, I don't know what's next, but I'm excited and Mm. I'm ready and I'm going to be obedient Mm. um, and I'm going to be present to what Mm. you are doing in and Mm. through me. Um, Mm. And I'm just really grateful that you Mm. shared with us, with our listeners, and I'm excited for this next chapter of mm-hmm. your journey mm-hmm. of what God has for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. The book, again, is called The Making of a Mystic, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. Kevin, you mentioned your podcast, which we'll link in the show notes. Are there other places people can connect with you on the World Wide Web? Yeah, I would say... Uh... Yes, the podcast, The Church Needs Therapy, where half are interviews and half are me doing my own teachings. Uh, the book, come, the first book comes out May 31st. It's up for, I don't know when this will go up, but it is up for pre-order right now or else it's already on Amazon. So you yeah. can go check that out. Um, exciting thing I just posted on my Instagram like an hour ago. Like I unboxed my book yesterday for the first time. That's so and it was fun. just so awesome. Yes. Yeah, my wife and I just had a moment and did that. So it's just an exciting time around here. And the best day-to-day is following me on Instagram at Kevin Sweeney One because it's just day-to-day. Here's what I'm doing, book release parties or this thing coming out. So those are probably the best right now. And yeah, I'm like again, one, this was this was awesome. <laughs> you know, being able to do this with you. Matt, I, we haven't, you know, besides emails, obviously haven't talked for a long time or seen each other and Christy mm-hmm. we haven't met but podcast the all these for me where I'm at and the gratitude I have for the podcast is not just because they're all small steps towards the book release but they all feel like small and important steps towards an actual transitional threshold moment in my life because of where I'm at so these conversations these connections they are more meaningful to me than people probably think so mm-hmm. I'm grateful for both of you and this was this was really good yeah. I'm glad we did this. Me too, Thanks Kevin. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, we'll uh, catch you next time. Well, that was fun yeah. talking to Kevin. Yeah. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. Um, yeah. I was like, I, I didn't really, I didn't read his book. This is confession. And so I wasn't totally <laughs> sure a safe place, how it was gonna go. But you did and um and it was just fun to hear kind of how he goes about life and in a fresh perspective. Yeah. Um Yeah. I'm yeah. curious what's stirring up in your head after that. Yeah. I think what's what's stirring up in my head is like how a lot of what we do at Gravity, especially in the Gravity Leadership Academy, is sort of a training in everyday mysticism. So we yeah. are we are we are trying to break down because sometimes when people talk about being a mystic, right, uh, just accepting reality, and I, I, I even feel this in me. Like, I wish I knew how. You know, all mm-hmm. I know how to do is control things or fight against reality or try to make it do what I want it to do. And I think that, um, I, I think that one of the things what we're trying to do at Gravity is, okay, if I was going to, pr- if I was going to train and practice to do the kinds of things Kevin is talking about. How would I break it down into like a weekly next step? You know, how would I how would I cultivate and uh, train for this? And so I don't know. Every time I talk to um, people that are, are bringing like language to describe what we're doing, it just makes you know it makes me feel less crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like and like God is doing something, and in Kevin Sweeney's book and Kevin's life and his church and his marriage. Um, and uh, it aligns with what we're doing, and we're on this trajectory together, uh, parallel yeah. tracks. And so it was great. You know what I appreciate about most mystics that I know, um, and even hearing Kevin talk, is their awareness of themselves and their surroundings mm-hmm. is so much more heightened than mine. Yes. I mean, I learn from them as they are present to themselves and to what's going on. And right. so much of my life, I think I'm distracted 
right? I, I want to be present and I want to be aware, um, but that actually takes real um, practice, I think. And I appreciate seeing that like really embodied in front of us as mm-hmm. we talk to him. Yep. So I appreciate good. that too. Uh, well, before we go, Christy, you have uh, plans this weekend at all? going to do, do anything? Man, not this weekend, but next weekend, I'm having some visitors. That's right. <laughs> I'll be there. I got I got a text message from Sharon. So y'all are coming to visit me in Colorado, and I cannot wait. I can't wait. Um, yeah. No, this weekend is, you know, final soccer games and kids starting to study for exams and hmm. school's about to be done and all the ending things, graduation parties. What about you? Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. This Friday night, I've asked my wife to polish my medieval battle uniform while I go to the pub. What? What are you talking about? For what? Well, she always said she wanted a knight in shining armor. Oh, my goodness. You just asked me about my weekend so you can tell me a dumb joke. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Listeners, I apologize. (laughs) All right, Christy. Well, enjoy your weekend, and I'm sure sure. Sharon... I'm sure Sharon won't enjoy that. (laughs) Uh, All right, peace out. Peace, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.